friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, friends, are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is a message I shared at Timothy Lutheran Church on Sunday, December 4th, 2022, about King David, chapter 12 of the story, The Trials of a King. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you speak through me this morning. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth give honor to you and your holy word. Please guide me, as you always do, with your words, to send and equip this flock to grow your family and show your love. I ask all of us in the name of our crucified Savior, who died and rose for our sins. Amen. Hello, friends. So there's a couple new faces, and I want to make sure I bring everybody up to date. So what we're doing as a church is we're going through God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. We started last September. We're going to finish in May. 31 chapters, and it's called The Story. It reads just like a story. So today we're on chapter 12, so we've been following... God from Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses going through, and now we're at David. Well, actually, this is the second chapter of David. So remember last week, David, the young shepherd, anointed to be a king. And we left chapter 11. It said this, David was a warrior, a poet, and a man after God's heart. He was a leader who put God first, who loved and followed God. But David was not a perfect man. So we start chapter 12. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. King David, a man who put God first, who loved and followed God, after seeing Bathsheba, made choices that showed He was not a perfect man. You see, he could have stopped looking at Bathsheba, went on with his day. But instead, he pursued Bathsheba. And he sinned against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah and against God. We all love God. We follow God and we put God first until we sin. Just like David did. Let's face it, when we sin, we put God second to whatever sin I just committed. We are no different than David when it comes to committing sins. We're born with sins. It's in our DNA. Passed down from generation to generation. Nobody can live one perfect day 
this side of heaven without sin. There's no denying it, no excusing it. We sin. But God does not look on our sin. What He looks at is how we react to our sin. Do we put God first when we react to our sin? You see, how we react to our sin is what matters. Because what's popular out there? Rationalize it. Justify it. Make excuses for it. Even deny it. Popular author, author from many years ago, Stephen Covey, said this, you cannot talk your way out of problems you behave yourself into. Isn't that the opposite of what's happening today? When you see a famous person, somebody, a celebrity, gets in trouble in the news, usually they start out, they'll, they'll deny it. Nothing happened. They don't accept responsibility. And then what they usually do is they turn to attack the person that usually that accused them. Or they might go one step further and they'll apologize that that person was hurt. But they don't apologize for their actions. They do all this in a nice, well-written press release sent out all over. They're just like King Saul, who we studied back in chapter 10 of the story. They are their king, and nobody or no one is going to take their crown or their power from them until the truth comes out. And the proof is so overwhelming, they are forced out in a power struggle between them and the court of public opinion. But what God desires is a humble and contrite heart. A heart that takes responsibility. A heart that confesses sin. A heart that seeks God's forgiveness. Because God is always ready to forgive. All we have to do is ask. He wants us each to say the same words that David said in chapter 12. I have sinned. And that is what we see in our reading today from 2 Samuel between King David and Nathan. Remember back in chapter 11, King David, young David, was anointed king by Samuel under the direction of God. This is the king that God picked. David is trained to be king and he's now ruling over Israel. So we're 14 plus years after David is anointed. David has defeated enemies. The promised land is finally in the hands of the Israelites some 400 years after Joshua went into the land and began the battle for the land. Think about that as you've been reading through the story. We went through those chapters of Exodus where it was 40 years, right? They went through those 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and now it's not 40 years later they're finally at peace. It's 400 years. So we're 440 years after the Red Sea was parted. And they finally have peace. They're in the promised land. So as we read, David is a mighty warrior, a poet, a musician, a man after God's own heart. But David, King David, is not perfect. He is not without sin. He's going to fall hard. He's going to fall hard to the same sin many men fall to today. Lust. So David's out. We're reading chapter 12. He's out on his balcony. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant. 
To cover it up, David calls Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, home from war and hopes that he would spend the evening with his wife. Well, that plan doesn't work. So King David devises another plan to have Uriah killed in battle. And that plan is to leave him out in front of a battle where fierce fighting, where the enemy can come and strike him down. This plan worked perfectly. Uriah was killed. The anointed king of Israel is now a murderer, an adulterer, and a liar. And just like the powerful men of today who have committed some of the same sins, King David just goes on living his life, pretending like it didn't even happen. You see, nobody said a thing to the all-powerful King David, except Nathan. Nathan, who was a prophet from God, speaks the truth on behalf of God. Remember, each and everything that a prophet said was true. Or it became true. Or they were no longer a prophet. Nathan, the prophet of God, is also a preacher and a counselor for King David. King David trusts Nathan and relies on him for guidance on spiritual matters and his faith. In our Old Testament reading today, it's part of the account where God sends Nathan to talk to David. Notice how Nathan handled the conversation. It wasn't this. He didn't go to David and say, Hey, David, did you get Bathsheba pregnant? Have her husband killed? Oh, and then you lied about it and covered it up. But people know what happened. You're guilty. See, nobody likes to have a finger put in their face, do they? And said, you did it. You're guilty. Nathan knows David has had this on his heart for quite some time. Instead, Nathan comes to David and poses a question in the form of a parable. In the illustration, the rich man is King David. He had everything, represented by the amount of sheep and cattle he had. And the poor man was Uriah, he had one lamb, Bathsheba. Uriah took care of that one lamb with everything he had. When the rich man had a visitor, instead of preparing one of his own many sheep, he had the lamb of the poor man prepared. David had everything, but instead of being with his wife, he takes Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Well, when David hears this parable, he's upset. Upset to the point that he wants to punish the rich man for what he has done to the poor man. Nathan simply responds, You are the man. In this picture, I like it because it depicts, you can, you can I, I, when, when I read this, I picture David's head dropping. The guilt and shame overcoming him. You see, at this point, David and Saul are very similar. They both use their position of power and authority to feed their wants. They use the crown as king to hide behind the sins they committed. Saul responds with denial and anger and even more sin. But David responds with a confession. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. 
David knows he messed up. He messed up despite God anointing him to be king over Israel. What's David do? He asks for forgiveness. David understood that his sin had broken his relationship with God, and David was humbled and full of grief. You can feel the weight and impact of the words from Nathan to David. You are the man. Because many of us have been in a situation where we're confronted about something that we've done in the past, and we didn't want others to know about it. We don't want to hear those words of confrontation, but we know they are true. We may be like Saul and deny them with words or anger, or we can be like King David and ask for forgiveness. You know, if I'm honest, over my lifetime, I've probably responded to sin many more times in my life like Saul than I did David. You see, our sin starts out with a desire, like David looking at Bathsheba. They go into disobedience because David actually sent for Bathsheba. Then you go to denial, David having Uriah killed until we're deeply troubled when we carry those sins around with us. Bathsheba was almost ready to give birth to the child she had with David when Nathan confronted him. So God had given David nine months to admit his sin, but David kept putting, carrying it around. Can you imagine the sense of relief and humility David felt when Nathan, the prophet of God, said the words, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Because David thought he lost everything. He'd messed up. David was expecting the worst at this point. But Nathan, speaking on behalf of God, tells David he is forgiven. The closest I can come to David's feelings at this time is when I go through a Good Friday service. When we hear the words, it is finished. With those words, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took the sin of every person in this world upon himself on the cross. And he paid the price for my sins. Jesus took the cross because God wants us to say the words, I have sinned. I have sinned. I'm not saying that you have to say, I have sinned every time you sin, because you know what? If you're like me, I can't keep track of them all. But every Sunday, we get to come in and hear these words. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Almighty God, in His mercy, has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you not some of your sins, not a couple of your sins, all of them. Every single one of them. You see, God lets us confess our sins and when we do, we are forgiven. 
You see, how we react to our sin is what matters to God. He knows that we put God first. God knows that we love Him. God knows that we follow Him. But we don't do it perfectly. And when we don't do it perfectly, all God wants us to say is, I have sinned. I have sinned. You know, Advent's a time that we prepare for Christmas, for our Savior's birth, but it's also a time for repentance, and we forget that a lot of times. Because the day after Thanksgiving, all we're thinking about is Christmas and celebrating Jesus' birth. But let us not forget why Jesus, why, the reason why Jesus was born. If it wasn't for sin, God could have stayed in heaven in all of His glory. He would have never had to take on flesh and blood as Jesus. He would have never had to die. God did all of that, so when we say, I have sinned, we know we are forgiven. See, King David acknowledged his sin. King David repented and poured out his feelings to God in prayer. Many of the prayers we get to read, because they're recorded for us in Scripture, the Psalms. There's 150 of them, around half of them written by David, the poet, the musician. You see, David, when he was a young boy, he tended sheep out in the field. When he was doing it, he would play his harp and he sang songs to God. As he grew and became king, David still played his harp, still sang songs of prayer to God. In the Psalms, David poured out his heart, his struggles, his broken relationship with God, and his gratitude for God's gift of forgiveness. Psalm 23, Psalm that almost everybody knows by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lies me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When do we hear Psalm 23 usually? Funeral, don't we? We read these words that give us comfort at funerals. The themes of eternal rest, of peace, and comfort are so dominant throughout these six short verses. This psalm provides hope and encouragement for us that are left behind to grieve. I listened to a message the Reverend Billy Graham gave about Psalm 23. And he said in his message that Psalm 23 addresses three problems we all face. Three problems that David faced. Oh, and by the way, three problems that we can't fix on our own. God restores our soul. 
How did God restore our soul? At the cross. Jesus restores our soul. A soul that we would never be able to restore on our own. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Second problem that we can't fix, I shall not want. In our humanity, we have this sense of emptiness. We struggle with fulfillment and contentment. True contentment only lies in Jesus Christ. The third problem that we can't fix, we do not fear death. Because of our faith in God, we do not fear. I'm not saying today that I'm ready to die, but if my time comes, I will not fear death. Because with death, become, with death comes eternity. Eternity with God where we are sinless. And I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is a reminder that God provides everything that we need. A psalm of thanks in which the Christian heart praises and thanks God for teaching him and keeping him on the right way. Comforting and protecting him in every danger. So why is this passage so meaningful to people? If you're like me, I can relate to David. I can relate to the words he used to paint these illustrations and these pictures in Psalm 23. The images that are wrapped between the Lord is my shepherd and the last line, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have sinned, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you have sinned but you will be with me and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May those words give you peace and comfort this Advent season. Amen. Let us pray. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding be with us all.